The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. We've got Derek Andrews joining us today. He is an instant an incident response manager at a financial institution and resident birdman of LinkedIn. Derek, how are you doing this morning? Great, great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join us. We'd love to hear your your IT and cyber path, starting from why did you get into this field, which can be so crazy, and and how did you get to where you're at right now as far as incident response? Uh, some of it was was planned and some was kind of accidental. I uh, I saw War Games in 1983. I thought, hey, that's really cool. And at the time, I was a kid who had a computer. I had a Commodore 64 and um, 300 baud modem. And I, I grew up in a home where I had a parent who was at that time kind of in IT. It was an IT auditor, um, much different form of IT than what we see today. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of had a lot of encouragement there. And, and I realized that this was something that you could do as a career. But at that time, and even in through through the '90s, there were really very few places that were hiring cybersecurity people. It wasn't wasn't the field that's anywhere near it is today. Mm -mm. So yeah. I, I kind of started like many others. I started in general IT, taking on whatever tasks I was asked. I was doing things at the elbow. I was doing things on the network. I was managing projects, and then I got to move into a dedicated cybersecurity role, uh, probably thirteen years ago. And uh, at that point, it was a maturing field, and and I was working for a consulting firm, and then uh, then I had the chance to consulting's great until uh, it's not, and then I had the chance to kind of uh, sleep in the same bed every night, and and uh, was able to go to work for a healthcare system, where we uh, we really grew and built a program, and it was a dedicated cybersecurity role. And so uh, now that led you to uh, focusing on incident response. Is that is that like a passion of yours or just, just a sidestep for now? I don't know that it's, it's a sidestep is that my, my first full-time job was not in it. It was actually, I started down the path in the criminal justice world mm -hmm. and quickly realized that I don't like this. Um, there, there are a lot of really fun things about this, but there are also a lot of really bad things about this. And incident response. If you are somebody who is, uh, geared towards the fight versus the flight in the response, you'll probably make a good incident responder. And uh, that that was just the way I was, is that when when things were going wrong, I wasn't the one who turned around and ran from them. Um, and even, even through IT, when others said, uh oh, that looks like that's going to get bad. I'm getting out of here and going to lunch. I stuck around because I knew there's going to be people needed and things that need to be done. So it was, I think it was just kind of a natural movement towards that. Well, I think, I know that, um, well, you mentioned that you've actually been in if, in several um, verticals, several industries, and I know from my experience in the financial services uh, realm, I was a bank CISO before uh, starting the independent route of the virtual CISO world um, five and a half years ago. And still keep my hands in that, working for a couple of FIs, uh, credit unions, and banks right now. Um, incident response, in some ways, can be the same based on verticals, or they can it can be a little bit different. What what challenges would you say that you see specifically with regards to incident response specifically 
in the uh, financial institution? It's the regulatory environment. If you if you look at healthcare versus versus financial, each one has different metrics as to what an incident is versus versus what it isn't. Uh, and then if you do have an incident, you're on a, a ticking clock in some cases for reporting. So, for instance, healthcare misdirected faxes in healthcare can be considered an incident because that is a a breach per HIPAA. Now, how many how many uh, determines how big it is. But you're on a ticking clock for reporting that and doing the discovery and the cleanup. Financial is the same way, is that you have certain metrics that need to be hit when you have an incident or what an incident even is. So learn, learning that, learning the regulatory environment is always fun. It's, it's kind of the first thing that I do coming into any new vertical is what's the regulatory environment? What do I need to know? Well, certainly those are two of the most highest regulated uh, environments out there, although uh, certainly we're seeing a an increase now in the in the dib space with regards to uh, CMMC and all that as well too. So, what um, just in general, um, what would you say is the most significant threat to small and mid sized businesses? The reason why I ask this is that a lot of the folks that listen to this are either they're cybersecurity folks that work in small and mid sized businesses, or they are business leaders in there. They're, they're their CFOs or the CEOs. And they're always like bombarded with like, what is the greatest threat? They're, they're not sure where to pivot. So I always ask folks to what their opinion is on what is the greatest threat in your mind, in your eyes, uh, cybersecurity for um, small and mid-sized businesses at this moment today. I think the big worry there is you're an SMB and you're trying to do the right things and you're buying those products that are in the, the top right of the, the square. But a lot of times the time that is needed to actually configure them and monitor them isn't there. So products are being bought to fill the gap, but in some cases they're, they're, they're kind of sitting stale and static from the day they were put in. And I think as an SMB, you got to lean on your teams more and say, are these tools configured correctly for today's threats, not the threats from a year ago when we bought this? And do we have the ability to quickly adapt to tomorrow's threat with this tool? And then uh, looking across the MITRE framework and saying, let's look at our entire tool set and where do we have coverage and where do we have gaps? Where do we have overlap? Because operational expenditure is not unlimited in an SMB and uh, it's expensive. And you've got to get your money's worth out of those tools and making sure you have people that know how to operate them. Well, I'm glad you went down that path because I was exactly what I was thinking about the um, the tool inventory, the tool overlap, the, the propensity sometimes to just buy a tool because you see that it's in the upper right quadrant of uh, Gartner or whatever. In other words, that there's been some sort of vetting um, in some ways, maybe it's more played or pay to play but at the very least, you you start out by addressing the problem with what you think is the right tool, but then you just sort of end it there. And, that, and, and I would think that that, in a lot of ways, falls on the shoulders of the chief information security officer. Um, would you think that, that there's like a disconnect there? Yeah, I think there is, is, is that we often joke on, on LinkedIn about checkbox compliance of, well, I bought the right stuff. I checked the boxes. Mm -hmm. Well, I, 
one of my my kind of side hobbies is woodworking and I could go out and outfit my shop with the finest fest tool stuff I could get. It doesn't mean that my woodworking is going to get any better. I'm limited by my skill and ability, not the tools. So I, I really think looking at your people and saying, do we have do we have the right people to operate this stuff? Just buying it isn't enough. And if we buy the greatest product there is without the people to operate it, is it actually going to do anything for us? And, and then uh, that's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say that 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 kind of pivots to um, particularly on the smaller side the smaller side of the uh, SMBs where you don't actually have that CISO leadership in place and so they'll turn to to the virtual CISO um, realm to potentially lead that and 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 I'm gonna pivot a little bit more on that now because that was actually one of the reasons why we first started discussing coming on the podcast because you had mentioned something along the lines of that you've seen virtual CISOs that, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not even paraphrasing you, I'm using my own words, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more along the lines of like, they're kind of like VCSO in name only. They don't really have the experience of, of cyber or IT, and um, they're, they're, more, they're more your traditional consultant that's really just focused on, on billable time and, and, and not actually being effective I totally agree with a lot of that. And one of my soapbox topics, if you will, is is I, I hate to see when folks go out there and put the VCSO tag on their LinkedIn profile and yet they're they're not being they're not able to provide that um that experience for businesses. So can you uh kind of walk me down a little bit more about some specifics that you've seen in the virtual CISO world? both the pros and the cons. And if there's more cons, then that's that's fine as well too, because I definitely want to try to help people understand that this isn't an end-all, do-all um, uh, solution for small and mid-sized businesses if they're not getting the right people to do their leadership, to help with like the tool uh, overlap and all that. Yeah. I, having worked at a, a VAR, the value-added reseller, I think the VARs a few years ago realized that there is a shortage of cyber leadership and cyber strategy, even among CIOs who were having to, to struggle to, to figure out what cyber threats are and what they needed. So the VARs quickly started spinning up these, these vCISO practices, and they took one of their consultants who's never built a program and never led a program. Maybe it's even a salesperson functioning as a, as a vCISO. And they sell the services. Hey, we have this service. We'll uh, we'll help you plan and we'll help get the right things in place. Although they've never actually done it before, but they're they're selling that that idea. And and what the VARs were really doing was getting somebody on the inside who then became an inside salesperson, truly inside your organization, who got access to all your network diagrams, who got access to your budget, knew all your plans. And while they're telling you what you should be doing, they're also at the same time presenting you a statement of work for them to do it as additional revenue. And it became a massive revenue stream for them. And, and highlighting one of the ones I've, I've seen is that she, she lists herself as a VCSO, but two years ago she was selling insurance. And a year before that, she was working uh, totally nowhere near like talking like being a cashier at a convenience store kind of work, like not, not in an IT capacity or an office capacity at all. And, uh, so, yeah, and I, I hate to hear those stories because, I mean, you pivot to someone like me. Um, the main reason why I, I got into this was to take my experience that I've had over the years and, and help small and mid-sized businesses. So uh, this is not about me, but just just 
a snippet of that side is I was applying more than 25 years of experience of progressive experience in IT and information security, including 10 at the CISO level by the time that I started to go down this road. And, and you brought up a really good point that I didn't really think about that inside sales where, where they're working for an MSP that provides the um, solutions, if you will, that we were just talking about before we have um, sometimes you have overlap, sometimes you have gaps and you really need to work on that solution inventory. And, to me, that sounds like that you're kind of crossing um, um, conflict of interest. Is is that what you were getting at with regards to that? Sometimes, yeah, certainly. It's it's is. Are you there to do the best for the organization that is hiring you, or are you there doing the best for the organization who's employing you? Because if your bonus structure is based upon the number of of sales you get signed, you have a really good incentive to get as much signed at, at the organization, whether whether it benefits them long term or not. It doesn't matter. You're getting paid on it. And uh, that's the thing that worries me most, especially with any outsourced resource. And and then and then it's kind of comp uh, compounded by what you were saying before is where um, businesses, I think this was the risk you were talking about, businesses will buy tools, but not necessarily have the resources or the knowledge or the staff to actually run them effectively. And if the VC so that they contract with is more about getting the tools in and less about effectively running the tools, then it, it would seem to me that you've actually compounded the problem right there. Yeah, yeah, you've you've ended up saddling the organization with some reoccurring OPEX expense uh, that isn't really providing the, the coverage they need because you don't have the staff there to operate it. And, and you talked about the experience versus the, the pro of bringing in a, an experienced cyber leader who has built programs and dealt with crises. is you get that experience. The worst thing that can happen with a, with, any CISO is you have an incident and experienced CISOs have been through these uh, and they know what to do. Um, you've been through building programs. You've been through having a, a key staff member come and say, Greg, I got to tell you, I got recruited by a big firm and they're, they're offering me 50% more and I'd love to stay, but you know how it is. I got to go. And, and you, you know how to deal with those crises and you have a plan for them ahead of time. And that's, that's where the experience of leadership comes in versus the experience of sales from some of the, the, the CISOs. Um, how can, from your experience, how can a small mid-sized business, um, that is looking for a virtual CISO or, or I guess maybe any sort of cyber security consulting, what can they do to, to, to vet, to make sure that they're getting actually what they need as opposed to what the respondents are saying that they need? I think they should look at the history of, of the person and say, have they have they built a program that's been effective or multiple programs? Have they have they led teams and grown teams? Have they been through, if you're planning potentially a merger and acquisition, that's why you're bringing somebody on. Have they been through this? Do they have that experience? But I also think that anytime you're bringing on a, a virtual resource is that from the start, you should have an exit plan and say, when we hit these metrics, we know it's time to exit. And I've, I've worked with, with virtual, uh, CISOs who have said, like, here's where I exit. Here's where you have to start finding a replacement. I help you find that replacement that fits your organization based upon what I know. Because while some engagements can run on for years, I don't think a lot of virtual CISOs are looking to stay on for 10 years as a virtual CISO. They tend to come in to do a job, get things to a point of, of stability and handoff, and then they move on to the next challenge. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. I I tell folks that that my 
goal for all clients we work with, and and some clients can be long term, and and some organizations actually like that, but but in the long run, our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. We want to build the the organization security program to a point where they can eventually then hire somebody in, or at the very least, kind of extract ourselves to a minimal, um, you know, retaining type, type consulting. Because usually when we start, we're starting almost from scratch. Well, there's there's two. Now that I think about it from this conversation, there's two ways that we actually start. The first one is from almost scratch, and and either they've been hit uh, with something or they're hit with some sort of compliance that they need to reach to, and then we help build the program that'll help them reach compliance, uh, security first, not compliance. But but also, um, now I'm forgetting what the second one was that I was going to talk about. I, I totally blanked out on that. But the end goal, again, is, is to get to that point where they can actually have an actionable security program and continue to grow their business that way. I, I really enjoy um, some of the insight that you've given there because, again, I try to frame it um, sometimes when I'm talking with prospects and clients and folks here on the podcast in the three-line of defense model where, where in particular, separating operational IT security as, as first line and risk management, which is where the CISO would fall into second line, that you definitely want to keep those separate. So I'm not saying that an MSP cannot um, provide that, but I think that that's also one thing that they need they need to look for as far as a virtual CISO service goes. Um, yeah, one of the things I used to do with pen testers is uh, I would often when I was in healthcare, we had a lot of uh, healthcare specific pen testers who would who would pitch to us, and I would tell them all the same thing: is that hey, I've never worked with you before, and that's actually a good thing because I require that my pen testers not have been in the environment for two years, and after you do a pen test, we won't do any other business with you for two years. And it was interesting in that about half of them then backed out and said, we weren't interested in writing a statement of work for you guys uh, because their plan was to, to do the work and then stay there and continually build. So I, I think if you're if you're bringing in a vCISO and their sole business is CISO advisory services, you're probably in a much better spot than going with a VAR whose real business is, is selling products and other services. Yeah. Well, I, I still see it as a as an evolving field. You know, um, it was interesting. You go about five or six years ago, and most of the folks that seem to be in the VCSO world or CISO, I mean, I'll, I'll say it anyway, um, they seem to be uh, folks that were actually taking that experience. But then somewhere along the line, I think to your point, MSPs and service organizations seem to say, hey, we can provide that, and that's a cash flow for us and can provide a, a way in for selling. So. Interest. Any other thoughts on the virtual CISO world? I'm I'm fascinated by all this. I could talk about this for an hour. So, <laughs> I I I think there's I think some of the growth you talked about with the MSSPs is probably going to start to drop off here soon because we're going to see more organizations say I need that dedicated leadership in house. Mm-hmm. And as we start to develop more leaders and uh, we spread out from organizations, I think the demand for vCISOs is going to go to that that more niche market where it's. We had something really bad go on. We need somebody who can come in and appease regulators or uh, opposing counsel. And it's it's going to go to uh, the MSSPs fading off. And then the dedicated experienced professionals will, will probably end up staying where they're at as far as the amount of work or picking some up. Yeah, I'd actually like to see like the separation along those lines as well, too, where um, the MSSPs can definitely provide some excellent, excellent um, advisory services on the cyber side, but, but not so much maybe on the risk side and, and, and continue down that path as well. 
Well, what uh, I, I know for me, um, being in the VCSO world and having been in information security and IT for longer than I'd like to talk about, um, it can be very stressful and you have to decompress. I am a, and a, am a big proponent of advising people to step away. Uh, you mentioned one thing you do what, uh, as far as woodworking, but what, what, what's your go-to if you want to decompress and get away from cyber for a bit in IT? Oh, my, my go-to is uh, I have posted in my bio that I'm LinkedIn's resident bird man. Every Friday, I do a Nature Friday post with uh, photos I've shot from around the world of different nature things. It's mostly birds. Um, so my my go-to is chasing birds and rare birds and uh, getting outside. I, I don't live very far from the Appalachian Trail, so I've got uh, miles and miles of wilderness here that I can get lost in pretty quick if I want to disconnect. Oh, that's awesome. Have you posted the one? We, we record these on Fridays. Have you posted posted the one today? Yeah, it's the first post of the morning. I usually do it right around 8 a.m. Uh, the, the post today was uh, kind of going outside birds. I went to reptiles with a boom slang, which is a uh, snake in, in South Africa. It, it translates to tree snake. Huh. Uh, kind of got <laughs> a, wasn't expecting to see it where I saw it or when I saw it, but uh, had the camera at the ready with a nice long lens to stay at a safe distance and got a cool shot of a pretty unique snake. That's awesome. I, th that's one of the reasons why I love asking this question because there are so many different answers. I've, I've had uh, MMA fighters before. I've had pilots. I've had um, uh, readers. I, I, I don't think I've had a, a a bird photographer chasing snakes before. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your future plans? You're going to expand your uh, bird watch to more than one day a week, or uh, or posting, or what? What are your future career plans? Oh, the future career plans. Um... You know, when you work in a nonprofit, it's it's different than working in a Fortune 500 that's publicly traded. Mm -hmm. And uh, nonprofits, it's the mission is very clear. The mission is a multi-year mission versus a quarterly mission. And I uh, I probably will find myself back in a in a nonprofit situation again. Um, and I I really enjoyed the engineering and operations side because you could prevent incidents instead of responding to them in the engineering and ops side. And uh, I will, will probably end up taking uh, a lot of what I've learned from the finance world and, and uh, moving that back at some point to the nonprofit world. Oh, that's awesome. Love, love the idea of serving. I always say that if you have a heart of a servant, you will always be successful. Derek, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your time today on this Friday. I will um, of course, this will be out on a Tuesday, so I don't want to confuse anybody listening, but I would definitely encourage everyone to check out the bird postings. Um, I'm going to do that right after this. And thank you so much again for your time. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Greg. All right, everybody, stay secure. <laughs>